Um, so good to be with you all. Happy Mother's Day. It is just so amazing to look around and see all these beautiful faces of mums. And it's, it's, I was worried that I'd get up here blubbing as usual because it was just such a beautiful prayer and what you let us in. Thanks so much, Brett. Um, so I think nothing in this life has surprised me more than motherhood. And I would argue that this generation right now probably has the hardest time, time of being mothers simply because of the sheer vast quantity of stuff bombarding us, you know. Um, I think that I have come to realize many things in my few years as a mom, but one is that less is more, and another one is that ignorance is bliss, like the less you know, the better you actually are. Um, I'm just so aware of all the agony of choices that I've had to deal with, and I know that all of us mums deal with over the years, um, choices about diet and schools and friends and all these kind of things, and it's just mind-boggling. Um, I know sometimes I've like kind of gone, right, this week we're adopting this discipline technique and this way of doing routine, and then only to see another mother who's got a far better idea or read some blog and then change about turn, and these poor, confused children are left in the wake of my flitting around with decisions. And um, in preparing for today, I was reminded of some of my most cringeworthy moments as a mum. And I thought it would be a good idea to share those, just so that all of us can feel a lot better about ourselves. I hope that's what it will do. Um, the one time, I, I'm horrified to tell you that I kicked my middle child, Nick. Um, <laughs> it sounds so bad. It's not as bad. It's just I was holding my newborn, and I was asking him to shut a gate or something, and he wasn't listening, and, and so I could only reach out with my foot. Um, but it was a low moment. It was not um, typical to me, and we actually both laughed about it. Um, he, maybe he cried to his dad later, but anyway. Um, Another one that I was reminded of is um, on the first day back at school, I decided to take the kids for a treat. They'd all kind of landed in new places in school. And so we went off to the local Wimpy. They love a cream soda float. So this was going to be their treat. And I said, we're going to have a treat. Um, and so we had our floats. And then we went off to buy a, a present for a party that was coming up on the weekend for my littlest Sam, who was about four then. And we walk into shop, and he still got his balloon and looking very happy about his cream soda float until he sees the toys. And then he says, when am I getting my treat? I said, no, Sam, you've had your treat. So he looks at me like, what? We're in a toy shop. And I said, your treat was the cream soda float and the balloon. And he goes, I didn't want that treat. So in a really stupid moment, I said, okay, well, then give it back. And this little pint-sized version of my husband <laughs> pulled my hand towards his mouth and tried to give me back the cream soda. <laughs> So now a small crowd was gathering, and my two older children were like walking in circles, praying for the, the life of their little baby brother. They were terrified for him. And um, so this kid got frog, mar frog marched back to Wimpy, and he had to give back the balloon. Fortunately, we couldn't give back the cream soda. Um, and the next day, he was walking past with his granny, and he actually stopped her and said, I made my mom really sad there yesterday. And he pointed at the Wimpy, and he kind of contemplated it for a minute, and then He's like, ready to move on again. Um, anyway, that was, yeah, a beautiful moment in our lives. And then another time, I mean, uh, I left him at church in this little snug and safe. <laughs> Got in the car and looked around and felt like there's something missing, only to realize it was my child. Um, anyway, I tell you these things because there have been countless moments when I've gone, God, what were you thinking to give me children? Like, Seriously, and I think not just mums, but dads. We've all had moments where we just go, gosh, um, what, what, how is it possible that I've got these lives <laughs> to actually rear? And um, the truth is, I think so often we 
we compare and we think we're a failure. And what I wanted to start by allowing us all to do is to actually accept that you are all complete failures and turn to the person next to you and say, I'm a failure. <laughs> okay, don't worry, I'm not trying to depress you all. But seriously, we, we only get to a place of kind of thinking we're a failure when we compare ourselves to others and when we compare to, to this super mom or super dad or whatever. It's when we compare that we feel like a failure. And in reality, the only person we ought to ever compare ourselves to is Jesus. And in, in comparison to Jesus, we are all complete failures. So I actually said this to make you feel better. Okay, let's just all rest in that. Um, but I will try and make you feel better as we go on today. If you wouldn't mind, I'm just going to just close your eyes and let's pray. Father, I just want to start first by just um, acknowledging that there are mums in this room or not mums in this room who are in pain today, and I ask that your spirit would comfort where there are um, mums who are not here anymore or mums who have been desperate to be a mum or where there is broken relationship. God, won't you just comfort in that place? And I really ask today that, God, you would use my words um, to just plant treasure in each of our hearts and that we would leave here today encouraged and inspired. In Jesus' name, amen. Before I forget, when you leave today, won't you find Malta and Connie, the mums who are outside and not with us today, and who do such an incredible job of being mums on a Sunday to our kids, and just give them the biggest hug and high five and just tell them that they're rock stars. Thank you. Okay. Um, so I wanted to start today by saying something surprising, just sharing a couple of verses um, that actually point to the fact that God sometimes refers to himself in Scripture as a mother. And there's a point to this. Don't worry, we're getting there. Um, so first, as a human mother, and this is from Isaiah, it says, For a long time I, God, have kept silent. I've been quiet and held myself back. But now, like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. And, then there are, and there are many scriptures um, that actually talk of these. I'm just, for time's sake, only doing one of each. We read about mom, uh, God as a mother bird. And um, this is actually Jesus speaking. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone these, how I've longed to gather you, your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. And um, so these kind of paint a picture of a protecting, loving mother God. And then there's also the pictures that we get given of God kind of pushing his kids to be better, where, um, you know, an eagle, actually, it's the eagle's technique to get its uh, chicks to fly is to throw them out to the nest and to hope for the best, and then swoop down and catch them just before they plummet to death. So um, God also does that with his kids. Listen to this from Deuteronomy. God guarded Jacob as the apple of his eye, like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, that spreads its wings to catch them and carries them aloft. But before you think that the Bible only paints pictures of motherly warmth and care, listen to this where we get to hear God describing himself as a mother bear. From Isaiah, like a bear robbed of her cubs, I will attack them and rip them open. I've seen these moms on the side of the rugby field <laughs> and the pool. <laughs> Beware of the fury of a mother. Um, so that's just an introduction. And please don't worry, we're not about to start praying our mother who art in heaven. What I just wanted to highlight today is that God is really, through, throughout Scripture, reminding us that both men and women equally bear His image, but just in wonderful and spectacularly different and unique ways. In Genesis 1.27, it says, God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female. And so often, we look to um, a David to become better praisers, and we look to Abraham to have stronger faith, and we look to Peter to be more stable and more of a rock. And today, we're going 
going to look at a woman. I believe uh, this rock star, phenomenal mother of all mothers. And today is called, if we can have the first slide, there's something about Mary. That's what uh, Banger was referring to when he said the fake tan and the bad hairdos. Um, but don't worry, if you're conjuring up awful images, I'm sorry. But today we're going to look at, really, I believe, the mother of all mothers. And I do believe that male or female, you have something to learn from this incredible woman. What can we learn from this one who was chosen? So often we just think of Mary as, you know, the baby in arms. But she wasn't just an incubator. She wasn't just the Mary who birthed Jesus. She was there, present, informing and shaping Jesus way up to the point of the cross and beyond. So what can we learn from her? I know that if I had been Jesus' mom, I think he would have arranged the ascension a lot sooner. Um, but obviously Mary was a great mom, so let's learn from her today, because there really and truly was something about Mary. I found it fascinating to discover that there were only four times in the whole Bible that record Mary speaking. And I thought, you know, out of all that time, a woman who shaped and informed our Savior, we should look to these four times that she speaks to allow ourselves to learn about her, because God must have chosen her and been happy for her to have a part in influencing and shaping and, and informing this God, this incarnate Son, Jesus. So what would, what would these four times that she speaks in Scripture actually teach us that can help us to know maybe of some of the things that God wants us to have in our households? What are the things that would have been in Jesus' household that God might be nudging in our spirits today to think about for our own households and raising our kids and just how we interact with loved ones? So the first time she speaks is um, in her dialogue with the angel. And um, the angel comes and, of course, tells her this incredibly ridiculous thing that she's got to do. And her words are, how will this be since I'm a virgin? And so the first thing that I'd like to highlight about Mary is that she's not one to shut things down, but rather to seek understanding. If you understand how absolutely preposterous this was, that an angel came and, and made this request of a young girl of 13 or 14, for her to actually not just like run for the hills, but to lean in and seek understanding and not let fear dictate her shutdown is something that we can all learn from. So often I get to sit with couples who are in deep pain or parents who are in struggling with stuff that their kids are going through. And I know that those who are, stand a good chance of surviving relational pain and, and making marriages thrive and making child and parent relationships thrive are ones who will seek understanding rather than fighting to be right or letting fear drown everything else out. And this is what I believe we see in Mary. She wasn't close-minded. She was prepared to push past the fear and ask, help me understand what this would mean and what it would look like. And so having received insight into God's plan from the angel, Mary gave her consent. And she said this, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. There's something here about Mary that we all need to grasp. She had completely determined in her heart that she would serve the Lord. She had decided that God was her master. And today I would just like us to ponder this question for a couple of moments. Whose servant are we? Who is our master? 
because all of us have something that is master over us. And the thing about a master is that um, there's this relationship where decisions are being made to serve a master, and we get to choose what that is. But a master requires X amount from us that we automatically, by default of having said, you are my master, we will have to shape our lives around. So who is your master? Who is our master today? Is it our work? Is it our family, our pride, our feelings, our image? Something is our master. But there is no better master than God, even if he has you as the center character in a scandalous teenage pregnancy. There is no better master, even if he has got you into a really difficult place in your life because you've made a counter-cultural decision. There is no better master, even if you find yourself having sleepless nights because you've had to tackle some corruption in the workplace. No matter what this master God asks you to do, it may be difficult, it may be tough, but he will never, ever, ever let you down. So Mary made this decision to trust God, and as a result, she actually became the prototype for all of us in the sense that she was the very first one, in real sense, to carry Jesus in her. And she paved the way, really, for all of us today to get to carry Jesus within us. A prototype is an early sample model or release of a product. Mary is the prototype of the Christian faith. She carried Christ in her. She got to sense his spirit to understand things about him, and today we get to have that gift too. The next thing that gives us um, insight into uh, this next passage from Mary, uh, I think it gives us massive insight into the way she was wired and her worldview, and I think it's breathtaking to understand that God chose a woman wired this way for Jesus to be raised in, in her home. This is... Um, It's a poem, actually a song, that she speaks to Elizabeth. And it's a song of praise known as a Magnificat. And I want you to notice a few interesting things before we get into it. The first is that it's the longest set of words ever spoken by a woman in the New Testament. The second is that it was actually the first ever Christmas carol sung. And another thing is that um, it's very reminiscent of Hannah's old uh, words back in the Old Testament where she was just so desperate for a son and then eventually had a son. And, um, and this also is reminiscent of the old prophets. It would also be so good to keep in mind that Mary, in, in, saying, in singing this, it wasn't a case of, um, of this being an easy thing for her to be composing, to be actually speaking out. The uncertainty of where Mary was at at this point is devastating. Um, it was a very real danger that she would be stoned to death because of what she had said yes to. So in the words that I could not say better than this, in the words of Reverend Caroline Sharp, it says, don't envisage Mary, envision Mary as the radiant woman peacefully composing this Magnificat. Instead, see her as a, see her as a girl who sings defiantly to her God through tears, fists clenched against an unknown future. When we do this, says Reverend Sharp, we, um, sorry, when we do this, she goes on to say, then Mary's courageous song of praise becomes a radical resource for those seeking to honor the holy amid the suffering and conflicts of real life. 
So what you'll get to hear in this um, song, and I'm going to call my mum up in a minute to read it for us. Um, In this song, she's recounting God's intervention in her life. That's the first part. She's recounting that God has intervened in her life. Secondly, she's expressing what she believes this life in her womb will come into the world to do. And third, she's prophesying about the fulfillment of God's promises. But there's more that I want you to know, because this is actually the most exciting piece of scripture, one of the most exciting pieces. It is so radical and potentially revolutionary that it was banned three times in the last century by three different governments. It was banned in India from being spoken or sung or uttered in churches. In Guatemala, Mary's words were inspiring the Guatemalan poor to believe that change was possible to the point that it was banished from being spoken. And then in Argentina, there was a disappearance of many hundreds of children in something called the Dirty War. And the Magnificent Cat's words were posted up all around the city. And they got the, the militia so worried about the uprising and the unity that these words are causing that they were also banned from being shown publicly. Mom, won't you come up? Um, Banger, do you have the mic? If my mom could just have that, thanks. I asked my mom to come read it to give you a break from my voice. And because she's my mom and it's Mother's Day. And also you will wonder if I really am her daughter. Because I know I speak like a steam train, but my mother will come and bring us all down to a calm. Um, just one other thing before my mum reads this is um, I wanted to share this, that the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer recognized the revolutionary nature of Mary's song. And he wrote this shortly before he was executed in 1933. The song of Mary is the oldest Advent hymn. It is at once the most passionate, the wildest, and one might even say the most revolutionary song ever sung. This is not a gentle, tender, dreamy Mary who we sometimes see in the paintings. This song is none of the sweet, nostalgic, or even playful tones of some of our Christmas carols. It is instead the hard, strong, inexorable song about the power of God and the powerlessness of humankind. Mum, would you please read that? Thanks. Okay. Then Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Thanks, Mum. Won't you give her a hand? (laughs) This little piece of scripture got the authorities... Oh, I'm double marking again. I'm so sorry. I I double mark. I don't know why I do that. (laughs) Um, This little piece of scripture got authorities and rulers and leaders so troubled 
because it turned, it talked about tipping things on their head. It talked about bringing the rich down and raising the poor up, and it was very unpopular, and we can understand why. The next time Mary's words are recorded in the Bible was when the boy Jesus, at the age of 12, remained and was found in the temple. So they were walking back with this big group of people, and suddenly they realized that Jesus is not with them. Son, why have you treated us like this, says Mary, when they finally found him? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. So this is surprising. Hey, Jesus, who's supposed to be perfect, did a runner on his parents. He legged it. (laughs) Um, I I can't even imagine the absolute despair and anxiety of not knowing where your 12-year-old child is for four days, for three days. Um, My son is 12, and I, I would be distraught. But I think there's two key little bits about this that I want to glean from what it tells us about Mary and how she and Joseph raised Jesus, um, that they, they weren't kind of like, you know, watching over him like a hawk. They, they had a tribe. They had a group. Um, you know, it's reminiscent of that beautiful proverb, um, African proverb, which says, it takes a village to raise a child. And so they were walking with the group, and it, it, it indicates that they had assumed that he would just be with the crowd, but then they suddenly realized he wasn't with the crowd. And so that's the first thing, is that I think... As, as parents, we need to really look for a tribe and find a village that we feel are going to love and nurture and call out the best in our kids and love and protect them so that we don't have to be the only ones in their lives. That then They know that there's an awesome group of other adults and parents and family around them who are also committed to them becoming all that they can be. And then this thing is absolutely spectacular. So they've now found Jesus, they've brought him out of the temple, and it says this, and he went down to Nazareth with them, Nazareth, Nazareth with them, and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, sorry, just before that, when his parents find him, he's, he's quite flawed that they don't know where he would be. He's like, didn't you, didn't you know that I would be in the house of my father? Where where else would I be? This is what I was designed for and purposed for. And so I love what it says there of Mary, that now he comes back home with them, and he was obedient to them. And it says, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And there's other parts where it says, she treasured all these things in her heart and pondered them. Mary saw something of this incident that caused her to notice and she treasured it in her heart. And I would say to you, and we'll get back to this just now, but she saw something in that moment of his kingdom purpose. Now, the final time we come across Mary's words, we might find ourselves thinking, she's one of us. So remember, Jesus wasn't an only child. He had step-siblings. In Matthew, it says, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brother's... Uh, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, and aren't all his sisters with us. Okay, so there were an array of other children. So it's not far-fetched for us to think that Mary could have been accustomed to the words which maybe get uttered across panicked households at about five o'clock in between dinner, homework, and bath time. And here they are. Cheers. Possibly, maybe not. (laughs) They're not coming up. These are the words she utters, the wine has run out. (laughs) I was staggered to think that out of only four times that she speaks in the Bible, this was one of them. 
but I'm only joking, it had nothing to do with a grueling end of the day, as some of us are accustomed. This is actually with reference to her um, at the wedding. She was at a wedding, probably with Jesus' whole family and all the stepbrothers, half-brothers and, and all of that. Um, and what's happened is that at this wedding, the wine has run out, and uh, Mary is actually responding in, in what we can understand now is with compassion and kindness, because if wine ran out at a wedding, it was incredibly embarrassing. It was deeply humiliating to run out of wine at a wedding. And so she's responding to this need, and she's gutted for this the people hosting this wedding, and so she goes to Jesus and says, like, sort this out. And he says, woman, why do you involve me? My, my hour has not yet come. But we see something that Mary does now, which tells us a lot. You see, in those days, men, women, they weren't really meant to tell men what to do, especially not God. But she does. There's just something about Mary. She goes and actually overrides him. He said, don't involve me. It's not my time. I'm not ready to do this. But she knows his potential because she's been treasuring these things in her heart. She knows that he can redeem a potentially horrible situation. And so she defies him. And she says these words to the servants, do whatever he tells you. And as you know, this was the very first miracle. This is the first time that he stepped into his public ministry and performed a miracle. Those are the last words that we are given from the mouth of, of Mary that we get to hear today. Do whatever he tells you. And they're so wonderful coming from her who really had a heart of obedience. There was just something about Mary. So I'm going to come in for a close now. Um, I do not want you to hear what I'm about to say as a list. Please do not hear a list. What I'm hoping today has achieved is that we get to go, wow, there was a household where our Savior was raised in. There was an incredible mom who all of us, mums, dads, and people who aren't mums and dads, get to look to and go, what are some of the things that shaped this family? What are the things in this home that were beautiful that God chose for this to be the home? And as I just consolidate this, just think of anything that God might kind of spark in your heart, maybe only one thing on what I'm going to do in a recap now, that you kind of go, I'd love to move our household or our family more in this direction. So going through these words that she spoke, the first is that we would be a people who seek understanding, who aren't closed off to options or determined to be right. That we would work out and establish who our master really is. And we would make decisions in response to who our master is and know that we're doing that. That we would, be, we would be radical. That our children would hear from us that we need to be involved in rectifying injustice. That we would partner with God to turn things on their head and show the kingdom upside down. That we would teach our children and encourage our loved ones to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly that we would find, deliberately and intentionally, find a tribe of people that we know we would be so happy with our kids being with. Dad, you're going to have to do that when we're all away, flitting around in the Midlands. That we would look out for others and anticipate difficult situations in order to love and be kind in those moments. And that we would know that no matter what Jesus is going to do, it will always be good and sometimes miraculous. That we would always be ready and prepared for those moments and showing our children to be ready and prepared for those moments of his goodness and miraculous breaking through.
But if there's only one thing that you leave with today, it would be this, that we would learn as a people to ponder and store up in our hearts the things that we see in our kids and our loved ones, to look for the treasure and to see the unseen things, because those are the ones of true value. Those are the ones that are of another kingdom. Mary carried this long-awaited Messiah in her. And what, what did she expect was going to happen when he was born? She knew that this was the savior of the human race. What did she think was going to happen when he was born? What did she expect? She carried him within her. That, that little piece of, of scripture that my mom read, it shows us that she knew he would come to restore the broken, to heal, to release, to set captives free, to release oppression and to help the poor and the oppressed. She knew it. There have been times when I have heard of, or witnessed, or seen moments where I've just known that my kids are doing something which is beyond them. It's, it's something which I have come to know is something of another kingdom because it's, it costs them. It's something that's not easy for them. Because kids can do fabulous things all the time, but I've come to know the things that I'm treasuring up and storing in my heart because they're things that are just not easy. Moments where they've chosen the other in a way that has just overwhelmed me with awe that they have been prompted and heard of something that is an echo of another place, another kingdom. And I treasure them in my heart. And today I want to encourage all of us to think on the things that we might have seen, because they're there. I've seen them in your kids, and I've seen them in you. Incredible things that show moments of tenderness and moments of favoring the other. These are whispers from another kingdom, from God's kingdom. And Mary carried Jesus knowing that he was coming to bring in another kingdom that we get to partner with, that our kids get to partner with. What I love about the things that she treasured in her heart is that they weren't medals and certificates. They weren't the things that can rust and moths can eat. And I'm not knocking those things. Those are glorious, and I'm the first one to put them on Instagram. But the things that she treasured in her heart were the unseen things. They were the things which cannot fade away, and the things which truly will show others the kingdom of God. And so today... I'm going to close this off, and I'm going to ask for Shell and Candy to come up and sing a song. And this is not a song for us to stand to our feet to. It's just a song with beautiful words um, that will help each of us to just take a moment before God. I'm really asking that you would invite Holy Spirit into this space now to highlight to you the things, the very unique things that he has placed in your kids, those hidden treasures, that one day you will get to speak and to fan into flame and to call out and to activate the way Mary did. As, as these words are sung, just, just allow God to speak to you about the things that you may have seen or the things that you may have missed. Allow him to give you a word or a vision or a picture. If you don't have children, let him do it about a loved one. It could be that you feel more that you would like to do this about your grandchildren. But whatever it is, I'm asking right now that God would just... Come in power and give you a picture, a word, or a vision, something that you will treasure in your hearts, and that we would be a people who would see these things in the unseen, and we would be ready to speak them out in that moment when 
The world is needing the kingdom's breakthrough in our kids' lives, in our loved ones' lives.